Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Carl Hughes of Draft or Draft.dev about uh, marketing to software engineers. So Carl is a former software engineer himself, uh, and he's a CTO turned writer. He's currently the CEO of Draft.dev, where he leads a team of uh, 120 plus writers, editors, content specialists to produce uh, technical content for technology companies who want to reach software developers specifically. So Carl, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sky. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm uh, well-versed in the developer podcast world. This is maybe my first marketing podcast to be on. So I'm excited. It's <laughs> a, a great crossover. Marketing needs more of this kind of, and this topic is obviously perfect for it. I mean, knowing how to speak to a specific audience, kind of, kind of important, kind of what we're, uh, what we're going to be going over. So we're focusing on software, um, marketing to software people specifically today, but this applies for all the marketers listening to any niche, you, you really want somebody who speaks that that language in particular, and we're going to be breaking down here with Carl exactly why, and then you'll say, oh, holy crap, yeah, what were we thinking? Um, so prepare to be embarrassed with some of your previous copy, probably, if you're if you're writing for a niche audience. Yeah, I think, it's a, I, I think of it as like subject matter expert marketing. You know, anytime you get into a space that's really technically specific, uh, you know, probably marketing to doctors or lawyers or construction engineers, um, in my case, software engineers, any of those fields, like, and, and we're all doing a lot more marketing to people in this like bottoms up roles where they're actually hands on doing things. And so I think this is a really big trend that's more broad than just what we know or what I know in software engineering um, that I've seen a lot of other marketing agencies and just kind of generally in marketing is like, how do we reach these people who are super knowledgeable about these tiny little niche subjects that our marketing team has very little idea how to talk about? Right. So there's the basic stuff where it's like, all right, we need to know the words they use to describe these things. Because if you're selling to a construction engineer and you say, Hey, we have that hook thingy that picks things up. I mean, like, what the right. gotta, you got to know there's right. probably a specific, That's how I would describe it as well. Yeah. For the hook thingy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you use the wrong words, they're just not going to pay attention to you at all, but then it gets sure. way deeper than that as well. That's like the very yeah. basic. Did you do your basic research to know um, they're specific. Right. I mean, like, right. Your company, if you're a marketer and you join like a company that's rather technical and what they sell, like likely they're going to give you a playbook of like, these are the terms you need to know. Right. That's a good starting point. But more than that, there's like a cultural nuance to every kind of uh, niche community out there. And I think this is really true in software engineers. Cause we've, we as a group tend to hang out in these little corners of the internet that are maybe less well-frequented by people outside of our world. Um, and so there's some sort of like, there's memes, there's things that get passed around that we know. There's sort of like um, uh, maybe, you know, uh, companies that get talked about in good and bad ways, both that that may, you may or may not want to align yourself with when you're marketing to software engineers and all these things that can be really tricky if you're coming from the outside and you're thinking, well, if I just learn what the terms mean, that'll be good enough. Like, yeah, you might hit some snags with the, the cultural differences there. Right. You're going to get clever with something or try to use humor and stick your foot in your mouth because you're either. And, and so we talked about this a bit uh, ahead of time because I I brought it up. I love the movie Office Space and it, it clicked with me that there's the one scene where the guy's saying, oh, I, I bring the, the stuff from the customers to the uh, to the technical people, to the developers, whatever it was. 
And you said, oh yeah, that's a thing in the developer community. Like they're all aware. <laughs> right. And I just kind of happened to love that scene because I thought they got it backward. Uh, and I love that movie, but you're like, yeah, if I had written content speaking to that, thinking I was being clever and thinking like, oh, look how cool this is. I know you guys, it would have backfired in a way that the developer community, apparently this has been a meme for a long time. And I'd look like the guy just showing up saying, Hey, did you know this? And they're like, yeah, we've all known it forever. Sure. So you can really yeah, stick it, your foot in your mouth, even when you're yeah. getting something right, if you don't know the community. Yeah. And obviously there's more subtle things than that too, right? Like a meme is a funny example, but like in, in the real world, quote unquote, like it might be more like you write an article as a marketer explaining your product, but what if you explain it like as a junior developer would understand it? You're now like sort of segmenting off your market and saying like, well, this article is not for senior developers because they would already know all this. Um, and so you've kind of maybe inadvertently written something that would be maybe too junior. Like maybe those people aren't decision makers in the organizations. You may not want to reach them as much. So the problem that comes up a lot and the reason that companies end up working with us in a lot of cases is they want to reach the senior leadership in engineering. And those people are even more deeply embedded in hard to talk about problems that they just get really abstract and really like really specific. So yeah, it is just hard as a marketer to learn enough about that space to talk with any authority. I think there's solutions. I mean, you can listen more and talk less. That's almost always probably a good uh, marketing rule of thumb if you can if you can handle it, you know. But uh, we have that same issue on the show here in that this is a show to B2B marketers, but there's all levels. And sometimes we're talking about something right. where I'm sure some of you listening are saying, yeah, duh, this is like, I know this stuff, but we're talking to a broad audience, not a niche. So we kind of have to cover the stuff that's obvious to you and the stuff that will blow your mind. I'm sure we get to all the time also, where you're like, oh my God, I'm glad I, I'm glad I heard that. Um, so it dawns on me that if anybody's skeptical about this, about whether this is actually important, go to, I don't know, Reddit and go in some niche area for some, for as long as yeah. you don't, you aren't part go of it. I mean, go to like a big one, like our programming is, is a big one. A lot of programmers in there and see what gets downvoted to, to the abyss. I mean, it's, it's like, sometimes you might as a marketer look at it and be like, this is a pretty good piece of content. It's like, nope. It was like somebody smelled it was too marketing jargony or that it wasn't really authentic or whatever. And it'll get, you know, crammed down fun, the bottom like of the <laughs> go to some some niche subreddit on Star Wars and try to talk to these people about it and see <laughs> sure. what happens to you. And you'd be like, oh, wow, <laughs> right. I, I, right. I don't know how to communicate. Go in there and say, like, Jar Jar Binks is my favorite character. What do you guys think? You know, <laughs> and see, see what you get. <laughs> yep. Or just anybody list as your favorite character yeah. and they'll tear you apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. yeah Take yeah, any totally. detail you want and try to say anything about it and realize yeah. how important it is to know the. It almost occurs to me, it's like, being a sociologist as a marketer, where yeah. just think of the people you're marketing to. You probably have a handful of niches you market your product to, even if it's it's developers, but at what level? You have the low-level developer, you have the high-level. De those, those are yeah. different tribes, and you really need to know the tribe that you're going into and how to interact with them, or you're going to get cannibalized. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is maybe just a philosophical thing about marketing. I think a lot of times people try to like make marketing all about the tactics and it's kind of like, just take these tactics and apply them to any industry and that's marketing. But like marketing is not that it's, it's like you said, it's like this sociological thing. Like you have to actually understand who you're trying to reach and why you're trying to reach them and what's compelling about what you're saying. And so it's, it's really, 
I, I don't want to say that again, this stuff is not necessarily unique to software engineering marketing. This is just stuff that I think is generally true of really great marketing people and, and teams is that they understand the the philosophy underneath it all that really matters. Yeah. There's a technical, like, can you send an email? Can you send? And then there's this, right. who is your audience? Then there's a the sociological of, you know, how yeah. are you going to phrase this? What are you going to say? Why? And the there's probably words. some Maslow's hierarchy of marketing needs, right? Where <laughs> that's like the top of the, the list. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody yeah. smarter has probably already come up with that. <laughs> but I would imagine if you get any of those wrong enough, there goes your campaign. Yeah. And the right, more right. Of, and yeah. So sales departments, salespeople, I feel like are given a little more uh, help because they're bringing in the direct dollars. They say, this is a really technical project or product. So we're going to give you a technical salesperson, a sales engineer. Yeah. Um, you know, absolutely. I know some sales engineers. It's just like, yeah, I know the behind the scenes technical stuff. I can go in the demo and make sure everything works properly, but also I can describe the technical stuff. The sales guy, you know, he's well-versed on how to sell not on the behind the scenes programming or whatever it is in the product. So they have sales engineers. Do marketers have anyone like that? I mean, even in larger companies, is, is there a role that's yeah. just a technical marketer? Yeah, there, this is kind of evolving, at least. And again, I'm going to speak from my personal experience in, in develop, we call it developer marketing, but it's essentially like marketing to software developers. So um, from that perspective, there's a couple of new roles that are kind of, gaining a lot of traction in this space. Um, they're called like developer relations or developer advocacy, uh, sometimes developer evangelism. And essentially what they are is former software engineers and software developers who they bring in as a marketing slash community organizer. And these people are out there like speaking at conferences. So they might talk about the products like underlying technical features rather than just like high level what the product does for you. So it's a lot more interesting to the engineers in that audience who might be thinking like, yeah, sure. Uh, let's say Twilio is great, but like, I kind of want to know the nitty gritty. Like I want to know how it was built because that's really the interesting stuff for us. And so I think <clears throat> there are roles like this in our space and I'm sure there are in other spaces as well. Um, you know, sometimes they get called marketers, but a lot of times they sort of put these other monikers on them to kind of hide them so they don't look quite as markety as, as the others. Part of the problem with it though, is a, a matter of budget. Like, so if you think about it, um, if you want to hire a full-time software engineer in the United States, it's a six-figure plus job, almost no matter their experience level. And it can get very expensive in Silicon Valley and some of the more competitive places. Whereas a junior to mid-level marketing person might still be under that mark. You know, again, depends on the city, but like you, it's a lot cheaper. So companies a lot of times budget like they're going to hire marketing people when they really probably needed to hire another software engineer to do marketing for them. So there's a bit of like a, a misalignment of budget here that happens as well. So, or find a, somebody whose last job was marketing, but before that they were a developer. <laughs> right. And that's a, I mean, it's a unicorn, but obviously like uh, almost all the companies I work for are looking for those people for sure. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay. So if you're looking to get hired, change your LinkedIn profile, lie about your job history. <laughs> I would never advocate that, but like, uh, you know, one thing that actually I have seen, this is like getting more popular among more junior candidates. It's like, maybe they are a more marketing focused person, but they take a, they go to a developer bootcamp. Uh, so mm -hmm. they learn to code, they learn the basics of code. And it helps them learn a lot of the basic fundamentals of programming. Like, sure, they're not going to be a senior developer after 12 weeks or whatever, but it can absolutely set you up to be better positioned to talk to software engineers about their day jobs and their, the kinds of products and tools they use. So that's another strategy too of retraining there. 
Yeah, I would say maybe go to a hackathon as well to see sure. how people yeah. uh, and 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 then just you'll be there covert. You can join a team. You can see how yeah. they interact, and then you break it to them. Look, I don't know how to write any code, so you guys have at it, and I'll I'll t- I'll do the talking. Um, but yeah, it seems like okay having that person that has that expertise going and finding some of the expertise. But again, that's kind of the technical part, the cultural part. Yeah. How you. I don't think you're going to learn the cultural part that will allow you to write creative that really connects or or doesn't backfire. You're not going to go to a hackathon for a weekend and develop that. You're not going to learn to code and suddenly understand the decades of history of what memes (laughs) and what inside jokes and what all this stuff um, in this cultural is again, you can, you can go and sit with the tribe for a week, but, you're not going to understand their culture that way that's where you really need this 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 guide for whatever your audience is technical or 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 whatever and maybe for you know some developers that are really tired of writing lines get back to office space writing code and they would like they wouldn't mind sitting and talking with marketing and and uh, yeah i mean this is really common almost everybody we work with they at least start off by kind of having a marketer pair with a few people on the engineering team to kind of come up with what's a good messaging for, for reaching engineers or what should we write about? Like what kind of blog posts would be helpful? What kind of tutorials should we start to think about? And a lot of times the engineers get pulled in to actually do some of that writing. And then maybe the marketing and, and editorial team will clean it up and get it to a certain level. The challenge is really doing that at any level of scale because your engineers are probably building your product. And so asking their boss, Hey, could I take somebody for a day and have them do marketing stuff? Like good luck, right? Like a startup that's got these like tough product deadlines. So that ends up being the big thing is just finding the the bandwidth to get that from your team. I don't know. Find a, a lazy engineer that I get back to right. office space. The guy who just wants to sit around and chat and be like, look, exactly. he's not getting any work done anyway. So can we, can we have him for a while? Right. <laughs> Let's jump straight over to what your company does. Cause this is kind of what you do, right? You help people with copywriting for technical things and for areas maybe they don't have the expertise in. Normally we get to that a little later, but let's, let's just go ahead and jump right into that because it's what you guys do. You provide this as a service. Um, Are you out there then hiring all the people who have uh, technical backgrounds and now are in copywriting and stuff? Is that why they're hard to find? It's interesting. Yeah. Um, We, uh, so the way we've solved this problem is we realize there's actually a lot of software engineers out there that are interested in writing on the side that don't get the opportunity to do it at work. So if you think about a large company, like if you go work at a big company like, uh, I don't know, Google or Amazon or something, right? Like the, the company has these silos. You don't get to, as a software engineer, go write articles just because you want to. Like they kind of put you in your, your box. That's where you play. But you might have some time on the nights and weekends to write some for your personal blog or maybe for companies like us. And so what we do is we've got all of our writers are, have full-time day jobs or they're consultants. And the sort of trick here is we let them write for us, we pay them, but then we also give them credit on these articles. So this kind of ends up being a two-way street of good things. The writer is getting some like ammo for their profile. Like in the future, maybe this engineer wants to go work at a different place and they use this article as like a way to prove that they know something. So really tangible example, like if I'm a mid-level software engineer and I want to prove that I know uh, React because React is a really popular technology for software engineers. I could write an article for one of our companies at draft.dev 
get that out there. It gets published with my name on it. And then next time I apply for a React job, I can put a link to that in my resume. And it's like, oh, you do know this because you wrote this thing. Right. So And you got paid the, to do the, it. So. And you got paid to do it. And then the client, it's interesting because like the clients actually like this because they don't have to byline everything with the marketing department. So again, going back to this authenticity of like, Software engineer reads this. They see the bio is another software engineer, not a random marketer. And they're like, oh, okay, this is one of my, my tribe. This is one of my people. And so it ends up being unlike, you know, traditional content marketing, which you, you typically will ghostwrite. We kind of get to have this like best of both worlds here where the, the writer gets some credit because they are subject matter experts. So that's the, how we do it. The person getting the content written for them, you end up not saying like, hey, listen to us. You're saying, hey, listen to this expert that we have... Yeah. So then you have this extra level of, uh, of trust there kind of, because, the, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a third party, uh, verification almost. Right. Um, and they're like actual users of their product or could be, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, this company is building tools for software engineers, just like this writer and this writer is now going to write about this tool. They learn the tool. They have to go in and like, you know, figure out how it works into their workflow. So it ends up being kind of a, a way for that, that company to also spread around to the writers too. So you're talking about, it sounds like they're an, an article or a blog post type of thing. What about other types of content? Because in my mind, I'm always thinking, I'm thinking things like, yeah. you know, let's say you want to make a meme to put up, or let's say you want to make um, a, an email content, a, you're making a display ad and whatever, you know, shorter content, basically. Um, is that the type of thing that, that you think this is important for as well, critical is it more critical when you're talking long form? Yeah, it probably is just as important with short form. Um, we we don't do it and partly a matter of um, repeatability. So again, because these are not full-time people, we kind of have to lock them into a certain kind of work that is pretty standardized. So our whole system is ba based on like being able to scale up developer content production. And we focus on blog posts because they're a very scalable, standardized kind of way to do that. So it's interesting, like almost every one of my clients though asked me exactly what you're saying, which is, could you also write the landing page copy for our you know, homepage or this new product page? And it's tough because I'd have to have full-time people, I think, that really embedded with the client and understood both copywriting and engineering. I think there's it, probably a whole I business there that, as well. Yeah, because yeah. the landing page, <laughs> yeah. email content, those are all things yeah. that um, are really important to marketers. And that's probably, um, obviously, the long form, you get exposed a lot easier if you don't know what you're talking about. And that's real my yeah. PR company. I keep going back and forth with my PR company and they write press releases and stuff like that. And I keep like saying, stop using the word data. You don't know what you're talking about right. when you're using this word. And they, and I, I think I realized when I was introduced to you, oh yeah, this is the problem. We got to talk about this. this is, I've, I've experienced this problem. I keep having to go to them because they don't have expertise in the data area and explain to them, look, this is this word everywhere. You see the word data on the internet. It doesn't mean the same thing. It's a pronoun. So stop yeah. just grabbing anything yeah. that has that word and thinking it's content or thinking you can reference it. It's not the same. It's not even close yeah. to the same data for God's sake. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, if, if there's an ability for that, so I guess to, to all the listeners, take all this and apply it yourself. Obviously, this is what your company does, but apply these concepts to everything. Try to, you know, you have to understand the culture when you're, when you're, when you're writing stuff that you're speaking to. Um, but if you guys were able to find a way to expand into that space, I know a lot of people writing a long form thing is almost easier 
in my mind because yeah, you can research absolutely. it and stuff writing totally. something short you can mess up a much larger percentage by putting one wrong word in there yes yeah you know and so this kind of goes into this is a totally different conversation so draft.dev is like only a year old right so part of the um our intentional limitation has been around like staying very narrow and focused on getting one piece of this whole developer content marketing piece like right and so to be honest like I'm a new business owner and I actually, I love this kind of feedback because I'm still learning, like, what do we need? And yeah, whenever I talk to clients, I love to get this feedback of like, oh, if you guys could do copy, that would be awesome. Um, but we did focus on the long form content for exactly what you said is that it is more straightforward to research. So even if an engineer is like, maybe not familiar with React, they've used similar tools. Maybe they can go research it enough to learn it. Whereas if we were to write your homepage copy, like that's very high stakes, right? Like you got, that's gotta be, dead on. And so I think having our model with these freelancers that are all around may not work quite as well when that's the stakes and that's where it's at. It so, dawns on yeah. me also that the technical person in this example, that's the niche you're going after. If you're writing homepage copy or something, they're not going to write the homepage copy. They would have right. to collaborate with yeah. the marketer or they take what the marketer yeah. has and then they would look at it and just like consult on it and say, oh no, change this yeah. word to that. What the hell does that mean? This is going to confuse you. Yeah. Isn't that wrong? It, it is really, yeah. I think, a a, a consult on what's existing there rather than right from scratch when you're because yeah. so much of the marketing once you get once you get down to the small pieces like that it's i mean the the blog the article is not marketing that's content when you get yeah. into marketing now there's so many other things in play that our listeners are dealing with with you know oh trying to make something short trying to make it a catchphrase trying to make it you know it has to look this way on the page so we can't use that many words <laughs> yeah. all the way down to yeah. you know what's the problem we're trying to address what's the all these other things um that uh yeah your technical person is not going to be a good marketing copywriter but i think they uh, would be yeah absolutely salt with um and could add an extreme amount of value just by sometimes seeing homepage copy and being like this word no use that one instead yeah. all of a sudden landing page and, is more effective. And actually this is, this is like kind of a good broader point that you could talk about too in this, um, in this whole realm of like marketing to tech subject matter experts is like we, so we get the subject matter experts to do the initial writing. And we actually have engineers who also do the outlining and like re initial research for articles, but we have a whole like non-technical editorial staff as well that cleans things up because to be perfectly honest, we have engineers that are not native English speakers and that they, they might be great software engineers, but they, you know, haven't grown up in American, you know, English all their whole lives. So it's super interesting because like you have to be able to work with those people if you're going to say like, we want good technical content because those engineers weren't hired for their English skills. So like right. you're going to end up with this, even if you work on your, you know, this art, this kind of content with your own team. And so there is always a collaboration element and it's just figuring out how tightly that collaboration needs to happen and who needs to be involved, whether it's marketing or editing or writing or, or you know, some combination of all of it. I've actually, a lot of clients, what they do is um, with aside from working with us or maybe before they work with us, they'll interview their engineers and create articles based on those interviews rather than having the engineers even write the drafts. Partly it's a timing thing, partly it's just like a skill set thing. So that's another approach. And I think you could probably do that sort of thing with any website copy or newsletters. It's like try to interview people and get their insights to like then condense down and be the writer who's good at that research. I would suggest also if you interview them and then write something based on the interview, then have them go back and look at the interview and give what you wrote and give feedback. Absolutely. Because yeah. I've, I've yeah, been yeah. interviewed about data many times. And then I read the article <laughs> and I'm like, 
oh, yeah. they didn't understand what the hell I was saying. They reinterpreted right. it their way, which is wrong. And uh, yeah. now this is yeah. saying the wrong thing. It doesn't mean anything. Is confusing, whatever it is. Like, yeah. And it makes you look like an idiot now. Yeah. I, <laughs> which is to, unfortunate. I've had to comment yeah. on interviews before and be like, well, they got it partially right, but... <laughs> This is not yeah. what I said at all here. Like there, I yeah. didn't even put it in quotes, but that is not, I didn't say those words. And here's what I meant if <laughs> from whatever they grab. Um, so they yeah. will kind of twist things around sometimes and not understand because they're not in that technical space. Um, I think that's where you, you have publications like Wired and these niche publications and mm -hmm. niche people probably hear me say Wired and are like, what a noob talking about yeah. Wired. That's not what we, <laughs> that's not what we actually uh, pay attention. But and their writers are technical writers, so they can write to the stuff yeah. more specifically, um, yeah. that type of a thing. So yeah. yeah, have them when you interview, have them then go back over it because it's you're gonna have got it wrong. Yeah, it's almost like a co-writing process more than a ghostwriting because you really are gonna need them to fill in gaps when you miss things inevitably as a non-technical writer, um, for sure. But that's you know again like this is part of the challenge of just marketing to any kind of complex product to a complex audience that's got you know deep knowledge in a subject or one of the main issues is the language and mm -hmm. you hearing a word you're like oh i know that word but you don't understand what it means to that audience and yeah. so you go ahead and use it and reuse it but again it's like using data the word data you use it improperly or in a general sense instead of specific or specific instead of general and and then yeah your stuff isn't going to make any sense. Totally. Like, let's like make this really tangible. I was talking to some engineers about agile, uh, like pr best practices and workflows. Right. And so agile, for those of you who aren't in the project management space, agile is like a way to, to, you know, keep your engineering projects moving. Right. And um, it has a bit of a reputation kind of, negative in a lot of circles in engineering, uh, because I think a lot of people have been burned by it, but a lot of business people love it. And they think it's like, um, you know, the, the greatest thing to happen to businesses since sliced bread. So a lot of times marketing teams will come to us wanting to write stuff like, you know, very like agile friendly. And we're like, is that really the, like, is that really right for this audience? You know, you have to ask, like, maybe it is, but maybe these people are a little burned out on agile. Like, but they okay. heard it's a good word. So they want yeah. <laughs> And it, it's tricky because it's, again, this is very like subtle stuff that you wouldn't, unless you're in these, these communities, they're talking, you know, the goods and bads of agile every day. Like you're, you're not going to get that. So, yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to keep this topic. We're going to take a quick break actually, but when we come back, I'm going to set you up for an ambush here, which is a weird way to ambush somebody. But uh, I want to talk, I think I noticed that you Correct me if I'm wrong, but the four hour work week is, is a, um, a book that you like, and it's a book that I mostly hate. Oh, that's interesting. And I think yeah. that applies to this discussion here. I, of, um, I would say I have a textured view of it, but let's, let's talk about that after the break. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and, and we'll get back to that. And the context here for the listeners, like, what the hell are you talking about <laughs> is kind of understanding. Cause so you might think you're talking to somebody about hiring or about job, this and that. And you're like, oh, let me, four hour work week. I recognize that is in this space. If you don't actually understand it, then you're going to put your foot in your mouth. So like, don't just grab these things like agile, four hour work week, uh, six Sigma and stuff like that. And just throw it into your marketing because to the people who are actually in that space, they may actually look at it and say, uh, like the office space thing, what would you say you actually do here? You're going to get it backward. You know, you're yeah. going to be praising Scarface 
and how great a movie it is to law enforcement or to people who yeah. actually think about it. <laughs> and they'd be like, actually, no, now that is not a good selling point for us. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We will be uh, right back with Carl Hughes. He is the founder and CEO of Draft.dev, where they do um, what co technical copywriting? Yeah, technical writing aimed at software engineers. Yep. Fantastic. We'll be right back. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast here with Carl Hughes talking about marketing. I don't know what that word was. Talking about marketing to software engineers or really to, to any niche. So, Carl, before the break, I threw out there that that I, I believe I saw somewhere that you like the four hour work week, um, that, that book. And I hate that book. Uh, there are some concepts in it that are OK, but but um, so I'll put my side out there first. Uh, I believe a lot of that book is about saying, let's find a, instead of finding a better way to do something, they're finding a loophole to exploit a mm. system that wasn't perfect. The guy even gives an example of saying, Hey, I figured out I could be a championship kickboxer because they don't cut weight. So I'm not going to learn how to kickbox. I'm just going to find one rule that I can exploit here. And like, Oh, you're not a championship kickboxer. You're a manipulator. And you actually went in and kind of ruined the sport. Cause now they're all having to diet themselves to death. And it was a pretty nice, pure sport before. So going in and finding a way to exploit a rule you can exploit. There's businesses that do this. They're like, Oh, we don't need to make a good product. We just found an interesting accounting trick here where we can have tons of profit doing some some lame thing we're not providing anything better for the for people a better service a better anything we're just finding a trick so he's basically saying hey you can find a trick and then the other part of it is him just saying like use your your company i'm like i would never hire somebody who loves the four-hour work week because i know what you're doing man you're you yeah. need to start your own i'm funding your pet project here yeah yeah that. um so that's my beef there's some yeah. good good uh concepts in the book i'm sure i just forgot them because i hate the bad concepts so much <laughs> it is I, I so i actually this is funny that you bring this up because i reread it uh maybe three months ago because it's been 10 years i think since i read it initially I, it was one of those books i read out of college that sort of got me on the path of thinking it's possible to become an entrepreneur now i didn't go off <laughs> you read it when you were working for somebody else yes. and now you reread it and you're saying oh shit and, and a business owner right yeah so a few things came stood out like first of all a lot of the second half is very dated and untrue now it's just not possible what he's talking about he gives a lot of really specific hacks that are just not they're no longer markets you could exploit so like that part you can just kind of throw out as it is the part that I love that I think does have staying power is um, the part in the beginning when he's talking about sort of focusing on your highest leverage tasks and getting everything else off your plate. So I think 
almost every entrepreneur I meet struggles with this. And I think this applies for employees as well, but especially entrepreneurs who like our goal when we're starting a business is to constantly be doing the things that get us the most movement, the quickest, right? Like, because we can't do anything. Like if we're over here, like doing data entry into spreadsheets, when you could hire someone for a 10th of your essential hourly rate to do it, like, why are you doing that? Like, what is wrong? Like what in your brain is telling you that's a good idea? Right. That's interesting because so, it yeah. touches on a concept for me where there's the, okay, work big to small. Oh, duh, of course. But also then you have the broken window concept, work small to big in a way. And I remember I, I learning to chop things up where I'd say, I'm taking care of the most important task, but I always carved out some time for the cleanup stuff. Otherwise it never gets touched and it yeah. creates problems over time. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, so maybe that is a high impact thing though, that, that final cleanup, like, you know, you're in a way, I think like good entrepreneurs, they think about like, what are the really high impact things I need to do versus the things that I don't need to do. And I think Timothy Ferris in the first part is saying a lot about that, even though he's aiming at it with this, some, I think some unrealistic expectations. Like I could never see a world where I want to only work four hours a week. And he actually does say that several times. Like, you know, like he, he's kind of like, even if you don't ever go down to that few hours, like the idea of only checking your email once a day or something that might be a healthy habit to build, you know, if it's possible for you. And so for a while, when I was like, after reading that again, I, I got down to just checking email once a day and it was actually pretty, pretty nice. Um, and there's a lot of benefit there. So that part I like. Now, I totally agree that like some of it feels a bit uh, exploited, exploitative, like you're kind of like cutting a corner to get lucky for a while and hoping that that holds or gets you enough. Well, rather than saying find a need and yeah. fill it, you're saying find a loophole and exploit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that line is fine at the same time. So like, I'll just put this in personal experience. When I started draft.dev, like anybody can start a marketing agency. It's actually, I mean, amazingly easy, right? There's no qualifications you have to have. You just have to be able to go sell to clients, right? And get those clients and then then actually execute on things and do that over and over. Um, but I had this unique advantage of having been a CTO that almost no one who starts a marketing agency has. And so I just used the crap out of that. I mean, all my first sales were like, oh, this guy's a former CTO that's going to get us content. Like, that's great. That's amazing. Like, it was just all this, like, and the network I had, had built up from having a job. Now, I'm not saying, again, these are not exploits. These are just like using the things you have to your advantage. And I think there is a bit of that that is really important when you're starting a business or you're starting a new job is thinking like, what are the strengths I have or the things that I'm uniquely positioned to do that my competition could never or wouldn't think to use? Right. But I would say that you are finding a need and filling it, though. Correct. You're not finding you're not exploiting something there. You're, you're actually Correct. finding a need and, yeah. and, and filling it with that example. Yeah. And I point out, um, you know, Steve Jobs, really, everybody knows him as a genius marketer. The guy is extremely technical. He just wasn't as technical as Wozniak. So Wozniak did the technical stuff. Like uh, he he was, uh, you know, a lot of people may think of him actually as an IT person and a technical person in the IT world. And maybe the marketers think of him as a marketer, but yeah. I think of the guy as a marketer and I have to remind people he had, uh, you know, amazing, brilliant technical uh, skills as well. Right. And uh, there's, there's definitely a ton of value in having both those things in one package. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do agree with the, like, I, I'm not a, um, I'm not a rule breaker to the extent that, you know, Timothy Ferris sort of 
like advocates or says. But I do think that in some ways, books that go to the extreme are really interesting to stretch your thinking about what is right, wrong, and possible. And I think to me, that's where I actually kind of like these books that take an extreme point and just go with it, is that it pushes me a bit further in that direction. It's not going to push me all the way because I'm never going to be like going four hours a week only and like living on a beach. Like I don't even like beaches. So uh, that part doesn't appeal to me, but like, I think just thinking, spreading your brain a bit to think that way can actually open up some ideas you wouldn't have thought of. otherwise. I, I love that. In fact, in copywriting, um, I always like to push things to like, you don't have to start extreme, but right. just push it until you've gone way too far. That way yeah. you know how you know what too far looks like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to know how far you can run at uh, max speed before you pass out? Well, you have to actually push it too far. Uh, then you know where the, the proper limit is. So yeah. yeah, I do love the idea of pushing it to the extreme. Another thing that came up during the break, I mentioned also along with the um, four-hour work week, another book that I hate and a concept I've grown to hate um, all in, in the marketing sphere is the why, the start with why concept. And, and I think in that case, it's a different, issue where it's been ruined by marketers. When it first started out, it may have been a good idea, but we take something in marketing and we say, hey, let's let's take this to the extreme and ruin it before anyone else can get any value from it. Let's use it all up. Um, it's for the listeners, the point of what we're talking about here is to show really how, back to the topic, how when you don't understand a niche, you can get things terribly wrong. You know, if you start name dropping um, Tim Ferriss and, and Simon Sinek and stuff like that in a particular industry, thinking they're a big name, they may be, but they, you may actually get the wrong reaction for the audience you're targeting versus somebody who really knows that space and can speak um, to the, the people who know it as well. Yeah. yeah. Like in the Star Wars universe, I don't know, there may be a niche of people who hate uh, Han Solo because he shot first or didn't shoot first. And then I might get tons of angry tweets for even suggesting that. Um, but uh, yeah, any, any area you get into it with your outside assumptions and you're likely to get it wrong and it's going to not have the marketing effect. You yeah. Hopefully. And it's one thing, you know, having a, an opinion that is uh, perceived as wrong by the other side is okay. If you can back it up and it actually like, you know, your stuff well, but if it's wrong, perceived as wrong, and you can't back it up, or your 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 knowledge is like paper thin, that's going to come out very clearly, very quickly, and that's where you want to avoid yourself. Like I could probably make I've actually written articles on both sides of debates, like building with microservices. It's like a common hot button issue for software developers. If you're not a software developer, you don't even know what that means, and it doesn't matter to you. Um, but this this topic is debated all the time. And to be honest, it's not that one side is right or wrong. It's that you have to make a really good deep compelling argument or else it's going to be clearly just like, you know, pushed aside because there's so many of the cheap, like paper thin arguments out there that are just clearly written by, you know, copywriters who don't know what they're talking about. People. Yeah. People who say four hour work week, that sounds awesome. Do you only have to pay them for the four hours though? Or <laughs> you pay them the whole time? Like, all right. right. You don't. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So can you give some examples, um, any specific examples of, of things that either like the disasters are always fun. Somebody, you know, in, in marketing, our generic example is the form fill, you know, oh, yep, I put in the first name and we didn't have the first names in the database. So it just showed first name and all the things. And then we're trying to get super personal. So we put in a bunch of our information, but we don't have half of it. And instead, we end up looking like asses 
because we're trying to make them think we know who they are and we're speaking specifically to them and all they see is a bunch of blank form fill tags. Yep. Um, so in, in your area, any fun examples? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because like a lot of these examples probably won't make that much sense unless you're, you're in the space. But I'll, I'll try to like generalize enough that it's like, you know, uh, relatable. So one of the biggest things is like companies come to us and they've been working with, say, like an SEO based copywriting agency that sort of does the basic process of they learn about a topic, they read the, the top five results on Google and they try to emulate or improve on those. And oftentimes what happens is their, their writer is not technical. So they don't maybe understand the difference between Java and JavaScript, let's say, which if you're a programmer, you kind of laugh because yes, that difference is huge and you cannot mistake one for the other. It is totally different worlds when you talk about the two things. And so it's really funny because you as a non-programmer may just think Java, JavaScript, they must be related, must be similar, right? Like I can occasionally interchange them, who cares? Like yeah, I would just- It's like data, I'd see that. Exa exactly. I would do that if I was writing about either yes. one probably. Yeah, so there's the problem. It's like, it's just really easy to make these subtle mistakes that immediately make you lose credibility with your audience. And sure, you might like, get lucky and have a couple of those rank well in Google, but like, am I ever going to buy something from a company that doesn't know the difference between Java and JavaScript? Like, no, as a programmer, no, I would laugh. Like, that's a joke. Um, we'd share it just to laugh about it. You know, speaking of jokes, <laughs> yeah. how poorly would it land if you did a creative that was referring to what a barista writes on your cup at Starbucks as being JavaScript? Is that a 20-year-old joke that people That's would okay. hate you for? I, I like that. I'm a nerd. I'm a, you know, I'm a dad now, so I can laugh at dad jokes. <laughs> I, I like that. I think that's nerdy enough. Yeah. It might, I, I it think, might land with some people. I think you've got it, Sky. I think you could get into this if you well, ever want to get into developer marketing. <laughs> that was a lucky one. Now, don't try that at home, people. That was a lucky one. Uh, that's why I was asking, like, assuming it was going to, I was saying something dumb and embarrassing. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the sorry. other, the, maybe the other big one is like, cold emails are really poorly received in the software developer community. I mean, they're, you know, cold emails hard to pull off regardless of where you're at, especially in modern B2B. Like we, we all get so many. I mean, I literally, if I open my spam box, it's like thousands a day of just cold pitches. Right. And um, that happens to software developers. And we are, we tend to be very um, averse to it. And also a little bit like, annoyed and like want to spread that annoyance around and tell people how annoyed we are. So, you know, the, these are the kinds of things that get, they make the rounds of, you know, on Reddit and Twitter of like developers making fun of these terrible cold outreaches from recruiters and marketers and things. And so something to be really cognizant of is like, if you're going to send cold messaging to a really specialized, highly educated audience like ours or others that are in the tech space and know what cold email is very well, um, be careful and just know like what's going to actually resonate. Maybe try really small samples to start so you don't, you know, burn all your, your bridges to get going. And then, you know, slowly figure out like, is there a way that this works or does this just not work? Um, even a channel. I know in our industry, there's a handful. Of, we sell data. Email marketing was extremely effective, you know, 15 years ago sure. for this. Yep. yep. <laughs> but. Now everybody gets 50 emails a day from companies saying we sell data, you want to buy you sell lead lists that. and data. So, yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. all ignored. Yeah. So that's one example of basically it's oversaturated, but I think in yours also, we've had clients that um, they sell to it security people yeah. and they want to buy a list of it security people do email marketing to. And we're like, we'd love to sell you this, but <laughs> receiving yeah. cold emails to that particular niche of people, right. is not, uh, you know, yeah. And IT security is like, there's, it's funny, there's like especially surly niches within software development. And 
um, a lot of the server folks tend to be on the surlier of the niches. A lot of, you know, it's a, it's kind of been a um, insular community. Uh, it's funny because like on the other end, we have like front end developers or no code developers who might be a little more like um, on the borderline between business and tech. And then you'll have some really deep in the weeds people that they go to security conferences and use pseudonyms, right? Like that, that level of like nerdy and like privacy focused, like those are really tough people to try to reach with any kind of like outreach based marketing. So yeah, <laughs> it, it just, you got to know that audience. If, if your audience is like uh, private security, not like physical security, like um, um, secret service and stuff, calling them on their cell phone is probably a bad way to approach them. Right. Yeah. They uh, look good. Yeah. I mean, how like, do you have my cell phone number? Now my yeah. identity has been burned and I have to go into yeah. hiding. Like I, I've seen, I mean, I've seen responses where developers, uh, you know, security people say like, I don't know how you got this email, but this violates GDPR code, dot, 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 dot. And then we'll like, you know, I'm reporting you to the such and such authorities. And it's like, I don't know if they really do, but I've seen those emails get passed around. Like, so I've seen them. They yeah. almost, so they know the IT part and they know how to scare marketers. Yes. But as a data person, they're yeah. pretty much always wrong. It's it's like when you <laughs> when you push the buttons of a lawyer neighbor of yours and he tells you to sue, he's not actually going to sue you. The code right. he's referencing doesn't even apply to that. He just yeah. knows that you don't know. If he sends you an official looking letter, that'll yeah. scare you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. so it, it's a uh, funny side is it's effective because yeah. marketers don't actually want to reach out to somebody that's going to be mad at them um if they know what they're doing at all but don't worry marketers if you've got those um it's probably not doesn't apply although right. if you're emailing somebody in the european union then it does and you need to knock it off and clean your stuff up really quick yeah but then there's yeah. I, so understanding knowing that is important on that level too just knowing oh don't even don't even write that have you ever had clients that where they want you to um to write something and your people have to say well this doesn't work for this audience. Like you yeah, long the biggest, form thing isn't going to happen. Yeah. The biggest request that we sort of push back on is like, um, if, if we're talking about the client's tool, like uh, we, we're never going to like oversell what they can do because it's not authentic and it doesn't, I mean, this is not, not like not honest to be honest, you know, like, candid um and i i don't want to say we've had a lot that doesn't come up a lot but we've had clients sort of like want to push a little heavier on the like you know oversellings what they can really do and over world's you know, greatest hamburger just say it's the world's yeah, greatest yeah exactly right yeah so it's like what what we've tried to push back and say is like look it's perfectly fine to explain why your tool is the best for certain use cases and why you know if we can make a logical argument there then absolutely we'll say that because that's something you could put behind but to say like you're the best um you know deployment solution on the market when you're talking about a market that's like a billion dollars like and you're a you know a million dollar company or something like yeah you're not you're just objectively not so like we or have to you come better up with really sell them for some reason that you are to, for them to be like wow i actually think you are yeah. the best and it's like and if that's the case like your marketing team should write that because we're not going to lie for you but if you guys want to lie that's that's your business you know so, do they ever give you quotes just say so and so says in quotes. <laughs> no 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 i mean to be honest like I, i've gotten better at picking up on those kind of red flags in calls with like potential clients i i know like i had a somebody mentioned on a call recently this another kind of funny story here it's like uh, he's saying, well, my upper management wants me to have these download numbers. I need to have at least 10,000 downloads by the end of the year. And it's like, you know, three months away. And I'm like, well, no amount of content that you write is going to guarantee you 10,000 downloads. And I was, you know, straight up, like there's just no way. 
Um, oh, there is one you could write, but it's a script that goes and downloads the 10,000 times. That's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said. So I was like, this is a red flag. Like this guy, I don't know, yeah. you know what's going on here, but this like doesn't feel good to me. And like, you need to talk to a developer that can write the code. <laughs> we write the content. So yeah, yeah. I, so I think I, I just, you know, it's, we're lucky that we're in a position where we can say no, because we don't, we've got the revenue. We don't have to work with everybody. So did he ask it, if but... you could write the article and the script that would download it? To no, I, he, you know, we didn't get that far. I, <laughs> I diverted towards better, you know, better conversation. I think that's actually part of the four-hour work week. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now, I have, that's a funny thing you bring up. So I've heard this other thing going around the internet about developers and other people getting multiple jobs and trying to, you know, remotely and trying to cram them in and like, you know, work, it just look like they're, they're busy when they're not. And like having two full-time salaries essentially for doing half the work at each four hour work week. is really, and I know it's interesting. Like, I mean, I obviously like, I think that's, that's extremely dishonest and has some moral problems. Um, but it does make me think about that whole future of work, what that's going to look like. Cause there, there may be some jobs. I mean, I worked at big companies before, like, early in my career and there were people who did a quarter of what they had to you know, were supposed to do and never got fired for it so like i know it's possible but yeah. it's pretty crappy there's a weird thing right now with everybody's looking to hire and they can't get people to work and i actually just posted something today where i said look they aren't not working because you aren't paying enough yes yeah. you probably aren't paying enough but yeah. Especially the people that quit didn't quit because you weren't paying enough. They quit because you you suck to work for. Yeah, totally. Like, that's the problem is you suck. And it's probably your manager's like, I'm going to pat myself on the back. But I remember when I was managing a sales team, having employees tell me eventually they quit. And they were like, look, I would have quit a lot earlier, but I liked working with you. Like you were yep. good to work for. And it's like people don't realize how important it is with employees if you don't want them doing the four hour work week on you. To for them to enjoy working for you, at least not hate you. Like they shouldn't yeah. think, you know, what we were referencing earlier, the uh, office space. Um, so I watched that clip before this, and then it, it then other clips started coming up. And one of them was the scene with Jen Jennifer Anderson saying, I quit, you know, I don't need this damn job. I hate it. You suck. And I was, I put a post up on it because I was like, yeah, this is the problem people are having is this. This is why people are quitting, not I need $2. She didn't say I need a raise or I quit. She was just, yeah. Like, job sucks i don't need right. it right well there's other ways unemployed then you have yeah. a management problem yeah there's other ways to make people feel valued than just money and i think so many big companies especially lose sight of that but even small companies like a lot of our clients talk about this like oh if we could just you know pay more then we'd be able to compete with the googles out there i'm like but is it the pay because all the people you're paying have enough to to live like we're we're talking you know engineer software engineers and like high level marketing people that that make good salaries even if it's even if they're on the low end of their industry it's plenty to live and so it's tough balance because yeah. then people yeah. go the other direction they're like well let's get a couple ping pong tables and kegs of beer Right. Just be drunk in the office all day. Yeah. You're like, well, that yeah. doesn't exactly. Well, if you want to attract that, that crowd, sure. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine what your drunken developers are going to code. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh God. I haven't, I don't think I've run into any of those yet, but that, that would be an interesting story. <laughs> so I know people who've said they, the company they're at, they're like, there's a problem here because like I've been doing it myself. They would say like half the time I'm half the days at work, I get drunk at some point in the day. Because everybody's drinking all the time, and that's just what they're doing somehow. There, <laughs> wow! And, and you know, they're going out with their bosses, drinking all the time, and getting hit. And I'm like, oh, you got some corporate culture issues, uh, right? Right? Yeah. I don't know yeah. how we even got onto it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 
so so we get you actually you were giving some examples of where things have gone uh gone embarrassingly wrong there um anything else in in, in that space i think one of them was just also you were mentioning um the wrong kind of content on the wrong channels just approaching people on a channel where you're like okay your problem isn't actually the copy that you're writing it's and this is where somebody who actually knows that niche yeah can help beyond the actual wording and the copy and the technical stuff is just don't approach them on this channel that's why you're you're not doing well though and like another big fundamental one is in marketing i mean and i think this again applies across a lot of marketing but like are you a sales focused organization that goes top down or are you a bottoms up? We want to like get this into people who then recommend it to their boss. Right. So like both approaches are viable, but if you don't know which one you are, you're going to like burn a lot of cycles trying to reach the wrong people. So again, like some really tangible examples here that would be familiar. Trello is a tool I love. I use it every day. They went a very bottoms up approach. They basically said, we'll have this very generous free tier for everybody that wants to get in using it in their companies. And what they did early days was started emailing people who used a work address for a big company and said, hey, we noticed that 100 people at Google are using Trello. Would you guys like to buy a team license, whatever? And so that that's sort of the bottoms up approach versus if you're a top down company, the content you write for engineers needs to be focused on the engineering leadership, not on the like hands on developers. So knowing where you're coming from and who you're trying to reach and how, again, it's just all the different segmentations are super important. And a lot of marketers kind of unfortunately overlook that and just think, Oh, I just want to reach developers. Like, what does that really mean though? Be more specific. Yeah. We get that with people when they're looking for the data, they say, Oh, it decision makers. And say, okay, you realize the CTO at a fortune 500 company, you're probably not going to get your email in their inbox. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or they'll have an audience. uh, Let's say it is um, 500 to a thousand employee companies as a target audience. And they want these VPs of it. And we say, you might want to consider starting like your entry if you're selling to the vp your entry point might be the manager or even sub manager somewhere and then it's going to get escalated up just because they're going to give the final okay doesn't mean they're the person actually making the mental decision yeah sometimes it's the receptionist that actually decides whether or not to get xyz platform for their time management or whatever you know the receptionist is going to be saying let's use slack (laughs) yeah 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 and like the that con like so I think it was another kind of related thing a lot of people miss is like the relationship between content and multifaceted sales or multi-person sales. So if the organization makes a decision, say like you say you're engin- you're selling to a uh, let's say a marketing manager, but the implementation people are engineers. So now you've got actually you have to sell to the marketing manager, but you've got to get the engineers on board to use your tool. Like it isn't like you just get a free pass with them because that marketer may not know have much of a relationship with the engineering team who's going to have to implement this thing. And so another way that people use content in these kind of like multi person sales is like, let's have different content threads for different decision makers. One of those decision makers might be some of the hands-on engineers who actually do implementation. One I can imagine also, I've seen this in marketing for events back when we had live events. Um, I saw, I think a couple different events do it, but one specific example was, um, I'm going to say specific and then not tell you what event it was because I don't remember. But um, one example was they sent the content about the event. They sent the email pitching you on the event or whatever it was. I saw, hey, here's the event, blah, blah, blah. And then once I had any interaction with them, whether it's send me more info or I went, did something, then they sent info 
with basically bullet points on here's how to sell this event to your boss. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. so here's what we sold you on it by saying, Hey, we're going to have this great speaker and we're gonna have a concert with these people there. And, we're gonna have, and then they had a completely separate list of selling points <laughs> for, okay. Now that we know you're interested in seeing Jay Z on the, in concert at this event or whatever it is. Um, now let's, Forget about Jay-Z, forget about the open bar. Right. Forget, yeah. Don't tell your boss all that stuff. Yeah. Tell forget them about that, all the yeah. parties every night. Here's the stuff for your boss. That here's all the benefits yeah. for your boss. And they gave you all those as well. And I thought, oh, that's that's yeah. seeing the glaring different content for the different audience, both deciding on the same product. Yeah. It was like, wow. And that might be the biggest um that's the biggest gap I could probably think of in the selling points for, for any product would be an yeah, event sure. like that. Cause you have yeah. everything from nonstop music and alcohol to, and you'll learn how to do this stuff or get. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think that's a, that, I mean, this is just, again, this kind of goes into the general marketing, like good things to think about is like understanding who all the decision makers are and their role in that process is huge. And like software engineers, like want to see things like good example documentation and good like use cases and stuff that speaks to them because it's like where they're going to be in implementation. And this is getting really true in like B2B SaaS because in the space of B2B software as a service, like almost every tool has to integrate with like 10 other tools to be viable now. And so that means the engineers somewhere in those, those companies doing the integrations are going to get involved and they're going to start asking questions like, how do we integrate this in with these other databases and our CRM and everything else that we use? So I think it's just really important to think this audience probably exists for most tools to some extent. You're just like a question of how far do you need to go down that, that rabbit hole. So not just what words and how you're using them, but what what things are you even choosing to focus on? It, yeah. it dawns on me that in the developer community, there's probably a level of person in there that documentation to them is, is a selling point, is a big Absolutely. deal. And there's probably yeah. a level that doesn't even want to hear about it and hates documentation and couldn't care less if you're, unless you're right. saying we take care of it for you. They don't even, they're like documentation is stupid. I don't touch documentation. Somebody else does it. I don't care. Yeah. Well, it's like, with, if you think about like selling these tools to engineering organizations, you have this, like maybe the engineering manager, the, the director of engineering makes the decision to buy the tool in some cases, but at the end of the day, all, all their hands-on engineers are going to use the tool. So you sort of need two levels of content there, one at the engineering leader, and then another one at the hands-on people that actually implement and use the thing. And these can be totally different sets of selling points. And it can actually be a big problem if you sell you sell really well to the high level people, but it never gets implemented because they're going to look at usage over time. They're going to be like, nobody used this thing, you know? So, yeah. Great analogy. Something that marketers will understand is uh, CRM or sales. Yep. It crosses over into marketing, but um, you sell a company on that. And then the individual salespeople, you sell a company on a marketing automation platform and the people who are actually going to be using it aren't sold on it or they aren't going to like it. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's the best platform. It's, you know, it's the old gym, uh, the workout thing, yeah. maybe the best platform on the market, but if it actually doesn't have the features set up in a way that they're going to use them, it's not the best. Yeah. We've totally. seen that in our development with our platform. We have a data search platform and we've actually had some features that um, there's a way that they would be technically better, but they would be less usable. And so people wouldn't use them. So it wouldn't matter that they're better. And it's just yeah. like, it actually, it needs to be the most usable and best solution, not just the technically best. Yeah. 
for sure. So um, we haven't, we didn't, we just jumped straight into your company. We talked about that. Um, I'd like to finish off here just talking about you because you have an interesting, I mean, it's, we mentioned a little bit, you came from CTO, um, you came from working for the companies, you started your own company now. Can you speak to that journey a little bit, if there's any why and how that happened, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So what happened, it's, it's, I wish it were some like grand vision for my life or something cool like that. It, it's really not. Um, what happened was I was working with, I, I loved my last job. I was working for a startup. I was hiring engineers and managing a team and it was really fun. Um, and then we were sort of in a bad spot with funding when COVID hit and we sort of had to batten down the hatches and all of us went down to half time for a while to save money and make sure we could like sort of ride it out kind of good timing because I figured, well, I'll just start writing more and I'll, I'll start asking companies if they want me to write blog posts for their, like for aimed at engineers. Cause I knew that audience really well. I'd been, I'd been writing on the side for fun for my whole career. So like I had a big, you know, uh, a lot of things I'd written out there. So that was helpful. Anyway, I start talking to companies. They all say, yeah, this is great. We'd love to have you work with us pretty quickly. I had more than I could handle. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just quit my job and do this full time and find some other writers and see what happens. And you read four hour work week again. You said I could hire somebody <laughs> to write this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a, there's a little bit of that. It was also, um, it was also just like, I was kind of ready for a shift in my career. I don't, I, this is personal, but like, I'm the kind of person who likes to constantly be learning and on a new frontier that feels hard and feels like it's a little bit like out of my comfort zone. So I, I, I don't want to say engineering felt easy, but you do something for eight to 10 years and you start to get like, I know the basics here, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not the best in the world, but like, I'm pretty good. Right. And I was kind of feel at that point where I was like, I could keep doing this. I could get slightly better over years, but like, I kind of wanted to go from zero to one again. And I figured marketing is like not a world I really knew. And um, I just, you know, I mean, jumped into it and figured I'd figure out a lot of things along the way, which has been totally true. I mean, the last year I've been a salesperson we've gone from, you know, like whatever one to 40 clients in a year. So like it, it's, it's been crazy trying to figure out how to sell things and become a real, like a real marketer. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. fun though. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It sounds like, uh, this classic serial entrepreneur kind of where people see like, oh, this guy created a company and then it went public. And then he left it. Or yeah. Like, like what? What? What do he? He has yeah. this company that went public. Let's see. And it's like I'm not interested in a public company. I'm interested in getting yeah. something from from nothing to there. I'm interested in the really interested in the yeah. journey. Kind of. I have an analogy that I use with in this. I used to use it with engineers, but I think it's true with all people, all professionals. It's like there are people who are pioneers and people who are farmers. The pioneers, we go out there to the edge. And we figure out like, what could we start? Like, I want to go get a patch of crappy, scrubby land and turn it into something that actually works. And then I'm going to get it to a point and I'm going to be like, this is boring. Let's go to the next patch of scrubby land. Whereas a farmer is going to come in and they're going to make that thing a hundred times more efficient over the course of many, many years. You know, they're going to build in irrigate, irrigation and like bring in better fertilizer. And I'm like, I didn't need all that. I just had enough to provide. And then I went on to the next thing. Right. Or so they're just going to make a rocking chair. They're like, I got my farm. Now I just need to pour yeah, the rock on. I'm good. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, I think knowing about yourself, what appeals to you is really important. And I think if you try to like make yourself into something you're not, or if I tried to like say, I'll just be a farmer, I'll sit back and work at a big company where I can optimize little bits of code. I would have been so bored so quickly. It doesn't matter how much money they paid me just would have like, I would have cried every night. So like, again, office space. I mean, the guy eventually was just working on a construction <laughs> exactly. site. He was happier than the same thing again. It is. Yeah. He, it's he probably a, lasted six months. And then he was like, where else can I go? I yeah. Like, he probably did. Right. He probably got bored. Cause he probably had a crappy yeah. boss there too. I mean, we've all had like these crappy bosses. So. <laughs> 
there's no shortage of crappy bosses. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's see. One last thing for you. We mentioned this a couple of times, but uh, channels for marketing. You guys write content for like long form content, but do you have a favorite marketing channel? And I know, so I'll fill in some of the blanks here for you. You're not uh, a marketer, but you're enjoying learning this stuff. Um, so things is just like blogs. Yeah, yeah. Media posts, email. Absolutely. Yeah. Cold calling. You probably love cold calling. Like, what's your favorite? <laughs> that's more sales and marketing. But what's your favorite kind of channel outreach? Get in front of people. Channel. Yeah. I so I think for for developer marketing and, and marketing software engineers, written and video content are both great because you have to think about where's your audience all like full time. They're at their computers. I mean, like my my wife gives me a hard time because she's like a, works in a hospital, moves around all the time, and I'm just like sitting at a desk all day, every day. And she's like, how do you do that? It would drive me insane. And um, that's what we do. We get used to that. So like thinking about where they're at is one big thing. The other other angle though, kind of the complete opposite is live events, meetups, and the sort of social situations that developers go to. So there's a ton of software engineering focused conferences and uh, meetup events all over. Now, the last couple of years, obviously have been pretty rough for live events. It's been, you know, up and down here and there. We're, st- I mean, you know, I think I'm starting to see them come back. I actually run a, um, a, uh, it's a website for technical conference speakers. I've run on the side for years, and um, it, it, we've started to see real live events starting to happen again. So I know that is coming back. Right. I think They're that's going to be big. Yeah, I think they're scared because they started to come back. And right, there's another spike, and now yep. it's going to take longer. I think because the amount of money they lose when they ramp up the event and then they find out, oops, we have yes. to put it all online again. And now yeah. they're going to be like, we're going to skip a whole season. We need yeah. somebody else can bleed on the bleeding edge for us. Yeah, totally. The, the loss uh, is there. I doubt it's I insurable mean, right now. Nobody's going to insure no. a live event to get canceled. They're like, sorry, you can't. It's, get yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, like if that had been my livelihood, that would have been the last year and a half would have just been really scary and soul searching. I would have been out of there, you know, like that's scary. Um, a lot of speakers big, have gone online though. You said the speaking. Yeah. Type, so speaking has gone online. I think it, it, you don't make the same connection with an audience. You and I were talking about this a bit about like, cause we've both done some virtual conference speaking, I think. Um, and it's, it's okay. It's definitely not the same level of like connection you get with people, but that can help. Um, There's no audience. It's like being a comedian. There's no audience. Yeah, I was talking, right. I'm like, I don't know if, if like, is this landing? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I yeah, can't totally. put a joke in here because you feel like an idiot yeah. when there's no, no feedback. There's nothing. Yeah, it's very hard. Yeah. Um, you can't get body language the same either. Like, you know, like I, all I have is my face and like little bits of my hands. That's all I can give you, you know? So uh, anyway. Um, yeah. And then another big one in our world is open source projects. So this is something you may not even be familiar with unless you're in the world of software engineering, but a lot of tools that engineers use are open source, meaning the code is actually freely available. And the way companies can use this is they might have their main tool be like a sort of like uh, a hidden proprietary tool that you can access only through their license server or whatever, but they may also have some open source tools that help augment or add functionality to that tool that they sort of let the community get involved with and support. So developers start to feel connected to this software because it's like it's out there and free for them to, to use and try. So this is a really big one. And if you can get your community of users actually contributing back to your product essentially for free, it's really impactful from a business as well as like a marketing and awareness perspective. Um, but it can be hard to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you're giving them like a little playground related to your product kind of. For yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of like how, I mean, in, um, you know, in more traditional content marketing, you might give away a big lead magnet that is really like high value because um, you know that people will sign up and you'll build trust with them and you'll be able to email to them. Open source tools are kind of a similar thing where like, you know that these developers will get a lot of value and they'll think positively about your brand, even if they don't buy your tool right away. Interesting. I guess in our industry, an example for the data industry, um, you know, you'll have companies and we'll make, you'll make things related to data publicly. Oh, here's a spreadsheet of SIC codes. Here's a, yeah. you know, as, as kind of a magnet or here's um, people would have append tools and stuff like that. Like, Oh, here's a free append tool. We can, or it'll convert your, your States to abbreviations or vice versa. Right. And those kind of simple, uh, again, lead magnets. So the open source is, is kind of a version of that for developers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, other than that, a lot of the, in social media is, is still impactful for sure. A lot of developers are on Twitter, Reddit, um, some on LinkedIn. Um, there's a lot of Slack channels as well. This is another one. A lot of my clients tell me they use pretty effectively. It's like basically like writing helpful content or responding to comments and questions in Slack groups. Um, again, these are probably pretty standard. I mean, this is stuff that a lot of B2B marketing would use. I feel like Reddit is like going to the Amazon. Um, yeah. So like if you <laughs> don't actually know the space, be careful yeah, going be careful. there trying to build a community or yeah. get into a community. Like you're going to get, again, you're going to get your head shrunk. Yeah. yeah. Very anti-self-promotional uh, there. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's a, it can have a huge impact. I mean, we've, you know, seen in clients get a few things that get picked up on Reddit and hit their the front page of their respective communities. And it can be tens of thousands of visitors. And, um, you know, I mean, that, that's a lot of exposure that can be really good. That's the goal by the end of the year. You didn't even have to write a script in sheep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Actually, I just promised that we could get them on the front page. <laughs> I like the, the marketing version of that. And I guess this is marketing when the person was asking for that, but is the person saying like, oh, great. Can, can you make me a video about my company? I want it to go viral. <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't think you understand. Oh yeah, we get that. Yeah, that request a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wish I could guarantee something like that. That'd be really cool if I had one of these Tim Ferriss hacks for going viral every time, but yeah. I haven't found it yet. <laughs> well, I think the, what you have to be Tim Ferriss. This is another one in marketing where people say yeah. like, Hey, look what this guy did. And it got this many. Yeah. Let's just like do what, that. Like, like what Gary Vee does. And I, yeah. let's not, I don't want to talk bad. I think he's actually, he's got some good <laughs> things to say. Um, I don't watch a lot of the stuff, but I've seen, you know, snippets. So I'm like, okay, that's smart. But like the problem is a lot of stuff works because he is who he is and he's got the reputation and this huge audience. Like, could yeah. you go, could you or I go record a video every day on YouTube and get anybody to watch it? Like, I, I couldn't, I'm not. It's, I'm it's not come it. up on this show before that you okay. have to market for the size of company you are. And yeah, like yeah. Coke can do something around their brand and people, cause they already have the brand, but people are trying to develop brand Yes, and they're like, oh, great. Yes. I'll, I'll do what these fortune 500 companies are doing and expect the same result. And you're like, I don't know. Not at all. Yeah. I <laughs> was just talking, doing that. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Like I was just talking to an entrepreneur last night. She's trying to start like a, um, a hair, uh, hair coloring business for men, which is really a tough market because like men don't want to talk about hair coloring the same way that, that women tend to in America, at least. And um, so she's like comparing like, oh, well, this is how Rogaine prices in markets. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not Rogaine. You're you with one like product. Like Rogaine is owned by Unilever or something, I'm sure. Like some one of those big multinational P, yeah, PNG. Um, and so anyway, like 
the way they market and sell their price point is all built around like their mass market appeal and the fact that they have billions of dollars in ad budget. Like the brand, they already have the reach. Yeah. yeah. Our last couple episodes, it comes up at least once. One of the episodes we focused on it quite a bit. It is, it's a big issue with people who, people who have a startup and maybe they don't have a marketing savvy person and you try to do marketing. So you, you emulate the big people, yeah. you emulate trying to go viral again you, you say, well, here's what Oprah did. So let me do that. And I'll get the same exposure. Right. Um, oh, and Obama did this. And okay, so why don't I just do that? You wonder why. Nobody and they, they, they go too broad is the thing I see the most in those early days. Like, you know, Ro- yeah, Rogaine can say, we're the hair loss solution for men. But like, I was kind of pushing her, like, could you be the like hair coloring solution for like, let's say men over 55 who work in finance in New York City and just like segment that narrowly? Because if you got... 50% of them, you'd have a ton of money. It's like, just do that. Like, don't try to, to mass market yet. Like you're not there. Or but, pick a niche that cares. You're like, oh, yeah. this group of men, in yeah. fact, this people who came here from this country specifically right. care about their right. hair being this color and not showing any age. Right. Like, I, I don't know who cares about their hair color. I'm not quite there yet. Like, and I'm, I'm probably not the kind of person who would care anyway, but I know there are people who do. I mean, she's telling me stats on like number of men who yeah. got their hair. Like it is a real thing, but like, um, anyway, yeah, it's a, it, and that was actually, you know, starting draft.dev, that was one of the biggest things that we, I did correctly that like looking back was like, I would absolutely replicate was instead of being a just general purpose marketing agency, do any B2B marketing, we just said, we're only going to do this one little audience. And a lot of people told me early on, they're like, is that enough to make a business out of? Like, is that a big enough market? And in a way it's good that I didn't know. And just like, was like, I'll just do it and see. Um, because if you, if I'd listened to people telling me that might not be big enough, I might've abandoned this, but clearly it is. And like, now we're seeing a lot enough traction. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, um, selecting a niche and niching down as much as humanly possible is, is, uh, is really important. So you nailed that one. Um, (laughs) You get some things lucky sky and you get some things right through experience, but yeah. (laughs) If you get everything right the first time or, um, if you just get everything right at all, then uh, there's something wrong because right. you shouldn't. You should be shouldn't making be a lot yeah, of mistakes yeah. in learning. Um, so if you think you got everything right right off the bat, then you're screwed because you got stuff wrong and you're just not going to be willing to. You admit just don't it. know it yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you won't admit it once it once it comes oh, yeah. up. Too. Yeah, like, yeah. Trust me, you're going to screw up a lot. Just be willing to fix it when you do. All right, that's a good note to end on there. Uh, hey, Mark. Like, yeah, I like that. It's why we test so much in marketing is because yeah. it's basically us saying we don't know. So we're going to yeah. put out 10 messages and, and, and see. Um, awesome. Great subject today. I love that we tackled this. Uh, something I think a lot of marketers have a blind spot on. Um, and that is wanting to be the copywriters themselves or think they know what they're saying and not realize that the message isn't landing a lot of time because you're not speaking the right words in the right place to the right people, even that audience. And, and you're not within the culture mentally. You don't know what you're saying to them, basically, <laughs> especially with tech. I'm sure there's some other niches that this really resounds with but yeah. the technical people is a huge one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on and, uh, and discussing this. Let me see um, if you guys want to find uh, if, if you want to find Carl, we can uh, put the LinkedIn. You can look them up there. We have yeah. uh, carlhughes.com. We'll have all this on the on the show notes for you. Draft.dev is uh, is the company. And then uh, Carl L. Hughes, is that right? On Twitter? Yeah. 
Yeah. Carl, two L's there. Carl Hughes. Yeah. Uh, and it's Carl with a K. So like nobody's ever going to spell it right. Like it, it just use, <laughs> oh, use the links. It's fine. Good point. Know. I haven't been saying that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Check the show notes. We'll have all the links there. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we'll, I'll throw a link up to that uh, YouTube video for the, um, I think the, uh, from the customer to the developer. Right. That's a good uh, one. Yeah. Part two. That's Encapsulates just. Encapsulates this whole thing. It's just yeah. fun. I watched that video and I was like, oh, I think it's time to go back and watch all of Office Space. And oh, all yeah. Of idiocracy again and uh i I just want to do a show now that all we do is relate those movies to marketing yeah those have aged well like honestly like you you, i mean in in a lot of ways like the the whole just the office like drone uh feeling it's definitely still feels like the production value like it's a little stilted here and there where you can see Mm -hmm. oh this is low budget yeah Yeah. but oh boy is the content good yeah yeah great 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 content in there yeah. All right. Um, so you can find those show notes and uh, more information on Carl Hughes on uh, ifyoumarket.com. And uh, please share us on social media where we post uh, little videos and stuff from these things and, and um, you know, share us with some other marketers out there maybe. And on behalf of the, if you market, I said, maybe definitely share us with some other marketers <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of the, if you market team and Carl Hughes of draft.dev. Thank you for listening to the, if you market podcast, where we believe If you market the shit out of it with uh, relevant targeted copy, they will come. All right, we're back. We're going to chop this into the show. So Carl and I were talking after we ended the show, uh, and this topic came up that we completely missed in the show, and we wanted to make sure it gets covered here. And that's when you have people that know the space, it's really important. All the things we're talking about are critical, but one we left out was references. Being able to reference things that they understand. Yeah. I'd use a Steve Jobs reference, I think, sometime during our conversation. But um, if you're going to use analogies or references or all those kind of tools, um, using things that you know from your life, when you're talking to somebody that's in a niche, it's like you really need to, to uh, use their references. Or you can use references they'll understand, but if you're in their space, you can use ones that will connect with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see this in software development all the time. There'll be like these really specific data breaches or um, let's say, actually, this is recently Facebook went down for one of the first times ever. And um, a lot of people outside of software development would never really know what happened or why, because it's just pretty technical, like for a company that big to go down. But it actually comes down to some pretty interesting stuff with DNS and BGP. Did their explanation make sense or was it BS? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's like I haven't I haven't gone deep into this, but reading at the high level, it makes a lot of sense. It's one of the like everybody who works on the internet who's in software kind of knows it's one of the vulnerabilities of the internet. It's almost like it's a talking point that comes up many times. So like as a non-technical way, person, I just thought it sounds like they're throwing <laughs> so many technical terms. They're just going to keep throwing them until. Right. I <laughs> yeah. And part of that's like Facebook's culture is they are pretty engineering heavy cultures. They're going to say things like they are, but, but honestly, like this kind of goes exactly to your point of like, if I'm a developer, I'm making jokes with other developers about like uh, how this thing went down, it's, it's going to land. But like, if you just on the outside, like, you may not get enough of that context to really make those jokes in the right way and, or, or to kind of like help that land. And Facebook's like a big example. There's lots of small examples that happen all the time in our community that we, we sort of joke about similarly. Right. If you're, if you're marketing a project to snipers, for instance, you might want to reference the scene from usual suspects and the guy, <laughs> he's a, uh, 
a homophobic slur about Oswald when yeah. he's, uh, when he's uh, looking at the skills that he's going to need to make all these shots. Just for instance. Yeah. You think a lot of snipers watch that movie? I don't know. I have never <laughs> met a sniper, to be honest. This seems like it would be a, a something they would be aware. I, if I met a sniper and I was like, oh, you know the scene in Usual Suspects? <laughs> You know, Oswald, that would be your that'd be your icebreaker with the sniper you go hey yeah. you know that scene yeah if he didn't know that i'd be like don't yeah. tell me you haven't even watched <laughs> like you don't know any you don't watch the movies with snipers in them or something Come on. <laughs> that's why like enemy at the gates is one of my favorite movies like when i was in whatever the kid when that came out and uh i remember like getting real obsessed with like snipers and running around the backyard you know with the, the paintball gun for a while <laughs> like wanting to be one <laughs> yeah 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 so that kind of make the references see because I'm not a sniper, that, <laughs> Nor reference, that reference probably wouldn't land very well. Right, right. right but right. if you're going to market the snipers, like you got to actually talk to one and say, what reference should we use here? Right, and, absolutely. Know, something that's yeah. going to connect with them in a positive way. Maybe yeah. don't market the snipers. Start there and then, yeah. <laughs> Bad example. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the references you use, the analogies you use, those being something that that speaks to the audience that you would never again it's like their own personal little code cult that you mm -hmm. wouldn't you wouldn't get uh can be really critical as well so we just want to come back and tag that in um for, for everybody some uh, bonus content here hi i'm Burl allen ceo of clarivine every day we talk to leading brands investing in digital transformation but even with great technology and teams it, it can take weeks to get content experiences to market and months for actionable insights. Reactively fixing data downstream isn't enough anymore. That is why Clarivine takes a proactive approach with the Data Standards Cloud. We enable your teams to create data that is consistent, complete, and enriched with business-specific content, meaning more actionable, reliable insights at the ready. Visit clarivine.com to learn more. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.